T-minus 10, 9. You're listening to the Launchpad Podcast with J-Man. Brought to you by Galant Media. Here's your host, J-Man. And thank you once again for having it locked to the Launchpad Podcast. If you have not as of yet, please head to the launchpadpodcast.com and favorite it. So you can see all episodes Launchpad. And if you have not done it yet, please head over to youtube.com slash jmanisalive and subscribe. It's a Gmail account. Everyone has one. Do it. So on today's program, special guest, it's his third time appearing on the program, kind of like SNL in the five-time club. Uh, It's Christopher Scott. He is a paramedic. And we just kind of got into it. So I wanted to make sure that I gave him a proper intro. So that's why I'm doing it now. He's a paramedic right here in the nation's capital, and he's been doing so for quite some time. He opens up about being a paramedic and some of the trauma that he's had to deal with. We talk about the hospitals. Are they full? Are they not? We talk about vaccines, old age homes. He has a father that's in an old age home himself. So it's really uh, a fascinating look into the mind of him as well as coronavirus, and we even toss in some common sense solutions. So I'm just going to let the real roll from where we basically took off, and I hope you enjoy the show. I love that fucking chair. (laughs) It's the most badass chair. You just can't move. (laughs) Yes. So, like, with the hospitals, I think maybe we should just, like, roll into it. Yeah, that's fine. And as people probably already know, this is Christopher Scott. He's a paramedic right here in the nation's capital. Thank you for your service, by the way. No problem. Yeah. Frontline worker. Now, people have always wanted to hear a little bit more from you, obviously, because you're someone that's there. You're behind the scenes, behind the veil. And mm-hmm. I remember very early on when COVID got started, a lot of rogue journalists, you know, people with their cell phones going into hospitals and showing that they aren't that busy. And you've been off for a little bit. When was the last time that you were in the hospital? Um, I guess it would be early January. Early January. Okay, so you were there for the beginning of COVID till January. Absolutely. Okay, so from someone that's been there, how busy are the hospitals? Uh, overall, you know, they're 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 not busy. Um, we saw increases in the summertime when life returned to sort of normal and people got over um, that fear, that initial fear of COVID. But um, emergency rooms, for the large part, were empty. Uh, waiting rooms were empty and people were afraid of going to the hospital. That was largely why. So why do we keep on hearing about the fact that we're afraid of our hospitals ending up a capacity and things of that nature when apparently we're laying employees off, like first line, frontline workers are being asked to go home? Yeah, I think it's it's a fear of the potential. Um, there's certainly a potential for uh, a vi- any virus to have a have a significant uh, health impact on those that it infects, and that was the that was the initial fear of COVID was that we didn't know about it and we took the worst case scenario stance. Um, but 
we didn't back away from that. We, we've maintained that and we've actually probably doubled down on that um, as we've dealt with wave two and now we're coming into wave three, the rhetoric has, has, has continued to, to, to increase, uh, but the evidence of that just doesn't seem to be there. Right, so, so in your personal opinion, because neither of us are experts, but with your personal opinion, it seems like the narrative that we're hearing from the powers that be are not matching up with what's happening with what you've seen. Yeah, I, I would say so. And, and I think at the beginning, it was, it, it, was, it was reasonable to have that, that concern that COVID could be very deadly to a large amount of people. And I think the number was like 20% originally, and we're ne we've never been anywhere close to that. Um, so I think at the beginning it was fine, but I think, but as we learned more, we should have backed off of that rhetoric and informed people properly as to, uh, the disease that, that, that people are dealing with. Right. And I mean, it must be difficult to be on the front line. And I know that policies are always changing. We discussed this before in regards to, you know, how you are to approach any individual that might need CPR or medical attention. What are the protocols that are in place right now in, in regards to being able to engage with somebody that needs your services? So a couple of our standards have changed, and that's more of the way that we administer medication. Um, some of our medication can be administered through a mask, which mists, and that mist can, in the back of an ambulance can create um, a danger for the paramedics. So we don't do that um, anymore. Um, but we still are going to resuscitate people. We still are going to put, um, you know, an airway in if you need it. We're still going to breathe for you if you need it. Um, but there's a lot more that goes behind that now uh, in terms of safety and PPE. Uh, so we're wearing um, uh, a lot of PPE where before we would maybe only wear gloves and a mask uh, prior to COVID. Um, you know, we've been burning through probably a year supply of COVID in a month. Um, and that sort of got us into the in, into the PPE issue uh, that we were in uh, in the spring. Okay. And how concerned are you with getting Corona yourself? Is this something that is top of mind when you go to do your work or you're just thinking, you know, I'm a healthy 30 something year old male and I, I really shouldn't have that much to be concerned about? Um, no, it's not. Uh, it, it doesn't weigh heavily on my mind. Um, I do take precautions when I am around patients. Um, so that might be why, because I have the ability to protect myself uh, with PPE. But um, no, it, it, it's not something that, that concerns me. Mm -hmm. And we also have talked about mental health in the past, mental health that you've had to deal with. And then there's also just the general mental health of people being in lockdown. So for some yeah. of these calls that you had to end up going to, let's say COVID related, but not in regards to being symptomatic. I'm thinking about domestic calls, you know, an increase of violence. Did you find that the way that you were having to go about work day to day was a little bit different? Like, I understand there's always violence. There's also always going to be crazy things happening. But did you notice that there was an increase in regards to things happening around the home domestically to where there was a rise uh, to where you would attribute that to the fact that people are they've been stuck in their homes for for a long time 
Yeah, for sure. There's a, there's a, 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 there's a lot of anxiety and it's been compounded because people can't do the things that they enjoy to do or that are stress relievers for them. So uh, we've seen a lot of, of anxiety type related calls. There's, um, you know, the, the, there's a lot of domestic increased domestic calls. Um, people are cooped up together. They, there's no way to relieve that stress and anxiety and it comes out um, either the manifest internally in, in, in health conditions or unfortunately it results in a domestic type of issue. Right. And so I know that you yourself, obviously, I would always question an individual's mental health in regards to doing what you do, because you see a lot of crazy stuff, right? Uh, you're, you're living in a world of life and death. Um, and thank you for that, by the way. I appreciate your service. Uh, how have you been dealing with this added amount of workload and obviously having to see so much more dysfunction in your world? Yeah, um, there's certainly this has been the most stressful year of my career. Um, there's been a lot of increased responsibility as to uh, I work as a superintendent. So informing paramedics of the newest standards, which were at one point were changing in an almost daily uh, nature. Um, you know, I, I haven't been able to do the things that I like to do, like be phys physically active, play hockey, uh, see my family. Uh, my father lives in long term care and I haven't been able to see him for some quite some time. Um, so it certainly, um, it certainly has, I, I would say, affected me, um, you know, and in, in general, um, you know, as you said, we see, uh, do, hear, smell, touch a lot of things that most people should never uh, have to do uh, in their life. And um, that for some paramedics that occurs fairly often for others, it might not be that often, but it affects, um, you know, all of us differently. For me, it's not necessarily the sights and sounds um, uh, of a scene that affected me. It's actually how other people react. So it's the, it's a crying wife of the, of the, of the deceased husband or, or, or the parents of a child, you know, that's what actually, for me, that's what bothers me the most is how other people react. Mm -hmm. That's heavy. <laughs> I've never really thought of that before. And I think what a lot of people tend to forget as well is well, I'll speak from my own personal experience. I don't like being locked up in my house and I've had to definitely deal with some of my demons while being by myself. Like I'm a single guy, I don't have kids, don't have a wife, anything of that nature. And I think sometimes mm -hmm. what happens is that we just forget what it's like for the frontline worker that has to deal with everything compounded, right? Like it's definitely no fun for you. And I, I think that's the, the reason why we're so split in regards to everything that's happening with the pandemic is that there's just so many different yeah. situations and scenarios, so many different walks of life, and everyone's kind of suffering in their own special way. Yeah, and, and you know, in my opinion, mental health has been treated as almost a necessary casualty to COVID and the lockdown, right? Like it's, it's acceptable to sacrifice your income. It's acceptable to sacrifice your mental health, whether that be through seeing, uh, not being able to see your family or not being able to do physical activity, you know, that seems to be okay. Um, at least for maybe up until now when people are starting to push back. But to me, that's, you know, that goes part and parcel with COVID-19 is you can't, you can't sacrifice people's livelihood. You can't sacrifice their mental well-being to try and reach COVID zero, which isn't an obtainable number. Yeah. Like I just want to go to work. 
yeah. <laughs> and all the divisiveness, right? There's the people that I think most people would wear masks no matter what. Making it mandatory, I think, is what made people say, go fuck yourself. And I don't want to do this. Right. Um, yep. Then we have this conversation that's starting to spark up right now in regards to who's going to get the vaccination. Right. And we're not going to go back to normal until we get the vaccination. So the people that don't want to get a vaccine, I think they're going to get seen in a negative light that they're not playing team. They don't want to go out there and protect the whole. Come on, we got to do this all together. And <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. It's going to pay, it's going to put neighbor against neighbor, um, family member against family member as to who has the vaccine and who doesn't. Um, we're obviously having a very hard time procuring um, those vaccines. Um, I think the magic number is 15 million people that need to be vaccinated before we uh, return to a normal uh, life um, in Canada and sure. you know the UK is already there they've already done that uh, but we're nowhere close I believe we're still around the we're under two million I believe yeah but they keep on talking about these variants I mean I'm not a I'm not a scientist but I mean I, I've seen a lot of people that are scientists that question these variants and uh, there's definitely a lot of foreshadowing to the fact that there's going to be more for something that they're pretty uncertain about, they seem to be pretty certain about when these next waves are going to come. And we're already kind of getting uh, pre-programmed, uh, for lack of a better term, that there is going to be a third wave in April. I don't want to be like a pessimist, but if I had to guess how long this non-lockdown is going to last, I don't think it's going to be very long. I, I suspect that pretty soon we're going to have some type of new orders or something else that's going to be interjected with the Emergency Act and all that nonsense. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I will be a pessimist. I will say we will be lucky probably to get 30 days. It'll, it maybe will run on to whenever they rescheduled the March break to, uh, and then they'll just end up canceling it probably because we'll be end up being in lockdown, but the variants are no surprise, right? Uh, it's, we deal with every, this every year with, with the flu that, that it mutates and we have a new flu virus requiring a new vaccine. Um, so that's a sort of introduces another scenario is what happens with our current vaccines. We know that some are effective against variants, some are not. Um, but we we don't know that these variants are any uh, are any more more deadly. We do know that they seem to infect easier, uh, but but there doesn't seem to be an increased health risk, which I think is an important caveat to mention. Right. Yeah. See, I don't want to be an anti-vaxxer. <laughs> I don't even really know what that is. Um, but I do have a friend that's a doctor that's on my social media. And he's given me a little bit of a hard time in regards to some of the posts that I've made in regards to how comfortable I am with my body and sharing that with other people. Now, I never knew that would be able to stir up anything. I just figure that I'm living this world. I'm an intelligent guy. Uh, I think I know enough about what's happening with coronavirus to where I just don't want to get stuck with a needle um, and have something put into my body that has not been tested. So for instance, I don't think that I'm a dangerous individual because I've never had the flu shot. 
right? I've just never wanted the flu shot. I never thought it was necessary. And I also just don't know what's in a flu shot. And I don't care to do the research about it either. I just don't want that in my body. And I'm applying that same logic to this vaccine right here. It's not because of some major propaganda thing. It's just that I don't even take Advil unless I absolutely really need it. So I'm very Mm -hmm. uncomfortable putting something in my body that has not had long-term testing. So at the end of the day, like fundamentally, when you bring it down to the roots of what this vaccine is, is that you and I are the guinea pigs and we'll just see what this looks like in five, 10 years. Yeah. um, And I don't, as I said, I don't begrudge anyone that feels that way because the information has been confusing. Um, There's a lot of, there's a lot of unknowns about the vaccine uh, as to, uh, Uh, how long it's effective for, um, if you're going to need boosters, if it's going to be effective against the new variant that does take over. Um, So I don't blame anyone who feels that way. I I think that the people who should get it are the people who, as you you hinted to, who need it. Uh, Those people that have um, health issues, those people who care for people that are in that vulnerable um, age of 60 plus uh, those are the people that you know, healthcare workers. Those are the people who really um, do need it. So we had also discussed in a previous podcast because this is your third appearance, you stud. Uh, is you were kind of on the fence, I believe, in regards to getting a vaccine. But I know, like you um, said, you have a, a father that's in an old age home. Has your has your stance varied any? Would you still be open to getting the shot or is it still something that you'd say no way or do you feel you're kind of stuck because if, if you want to be able to do the things that you want to do, you're going to have to kind of get stuck? Well, yeah, and that's, that is a big question. Is, is, am I, is everyone going to be forced to get it in order to do what they want to do and what they used to do? Um, I'm still on the fence, to be honest with you, and I'm, uh, and I'm even more confused because I don't know um what the if this vaccine is even going to be effective against whatever the strain that is going to be the dominant strain in a month from now will be um i have a i have a young daughter at home um if it meant getting it to protect her to protect uh, my patients that i interact with at work to protect my dad so i can go and see my dad then yes you know i i would get it and um that's sort of where i sit right now Okay, so two things. I want to touch on your father and the impact of having a loved one in a home, right, where they're not accessible to you as they usually would be. Uh, But in regards to the vaccine, so what I've been reading about it is that there are people that are getting the vaccine and they're still getting COVID-19. I'm not so concerned about getting a shot and dying immediately. <laughs> you know, that was kind of the hype. It's kind of like when these things pop up on TV with uh, police violence. Like, listen, there's definitely violence in the police force, but we don't see these videos every day, which should go to show you that for the most part, police are not beating the shit out of kids and black people and whatever it might be. But it, it, it does happen. And so with the vaccine, I'm not so concerned about short term putting something into my bloodstream that's going to kill me. I think that's a little bit nonsensical, but there are some cases though, where it's most definitely not helping the individuals that are having them and mainly old age homes. We continue to see old people drop even with that vaccine. So when I see it being that ineffective, 
you know, in, in old people, I'm thinking like, well, why would I even want to take the chance of putting something that has something like a 95% chance of preventing or whatever? I don't even really know other than there's a pretty good chance that it will save me from COVID opposed to my immune system that has like a 99 point whatever. I'll even say a 99.5. I've seen those numbers as high as, you know, 99.7, whatever it might be, but I'm a healthy young male. So do you not think that maybe we'd be able to make it through this a little bit quicker? I even wonder if we'd be through this already or a lot closer to if from day one, we just took care of our old people and the people that were vulnerable, we protected them as well. And then we just let the healthy males and females that wanted to go out there do their fucking thing. I believe there was a nun in Europe that survived COVID. And I think she's yeah, 109 or 170. She's old as fuck. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that tells me like, do I really, do I really need this thing? Yeah. And, 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 and we covered this in the previous podcast, but, the, but getting the vaccine doesn't make you uh, immune. It gives you an immune response so that you don't get as sick. You can still pass that virus on. So, um, you know, this is a big question is, What's the end game? And that's something that nobody uh, from the from the federal government to the provincial government to local health officials can can give an answer on is what's the end game here? So because you can still get infections in that long term care home, even though everyone's vaccinated. My father's home, for example, people, the, it's it's the staff that's getting sick, that's causing the outbreak. It's not the residents. It's just a, whatever staff member ends up picking it up at home or in the community. And now the whole home's an outbreak because they work in the home. Right. Well, why don't they bubble these homes? I've said this on my What the Fuck podcast, and I've said it a couple of times on lives, but we're spending millions of dollars to make sure that these sports leagues can run, like the NHL bubble, different schedule, NBA, they did a full season pretty much like in a bubble. And I can only imagine how much that costs in regards to the resources just to make that happen. And then number two, we're doing this so millionaires can keep on millionairing. <laughs> if anyone could like take a break and sit at home, it would be these individuals. And so, yeah. I mean, after having Randy Hillier, I don't know how many more political affiliations I've made here in regards to people making a push and reaching out to their MPs, their MPPs. But I'd be saying like, why are we not putting some effort into take at least one home one old age home and bubble that and pay a frontline worker NHL money, whatever it takes, double their salary, triple their salaries, whatever they want to where they live in that bubble for three months. And let's see what we're doing in regards to the metrics of protecting our elderly that way, opposed to spending all this money to make sure that the, these millionaires can continue to, to, to live their lives and, be able to go to work every day, essentially. What do you think about doing something like that? Three months, you hire your frontline workers, you put them in a home, they don't leave. That's where they live. They're there for three months. For instance, uh, we won't get into necessarily how much you make, but if I offered to double or triple your salary, would that be something you'd consider doing? Now, I know you have a family, you have a, you have a, a young girl, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that'd be a little bit more difficult, but would you consider it? Would you at least have a talk with the it wife? Would, yeah, it would certainly be tempting. I mean, I know, I know plenty of people that, that used to go to, you know, the Alberta to the oil fields for a month and then come home for a month, you know? So there, there certainly are people who would do that. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it's definitely, it's definitely something to, to consider. I mean, one of the other things about long-term care homes is that not everybody is only is permitted to work 
within that one home. There are some categories of workers that go to uh, other homes. Um, so it's been it's just, it's been a failure uh, how the government's looked after long term care specifically. Um, but yeah, you know, any anything uh, is better than what is currently occurring. Right. So you have a father in an old age home. And so where do you think they could do better? I mean, you're living this firsthand. Number one, just talk about what it's like. How can you interact with him right now? And then in regards to things that you believe that they could do better and still keep the elderly safe, your professional yeah. and personal opinion. Um, yeah. So I, um, Everybody in a long-term care home is, des- is given two designated caregivers, and those family members can go and see their loved one if they're uh, COVID tested. Um, so one thing that has been we've been waiting for for a long time is rapid testing, um, so that I could go see my dad today, get tested at the door, wait in my car for 15 minutes, uh, and then get a yes or a no as to whether I'm I, I, I I'm okay to come in. Uh, that has we've been waiting for that for a very long time, and it's just kind of starting now in the province. But we've had rapid tests forever. The problem is is that um, they're not as accurate as um, a nasal swab or an oral uh, swab. So, um, you know, uh, the mental health of those uh, of the people living in that home, I think, um, has been largely ignored. Uh, um, A lot of people in that home, they have nothing else but their family. So when you take that away from them, when you take the ability, they can't even go outside. They can't even go for a walk on the grounds. So you take their ability to go outside. They can't get vitamin D, which we know is important uh, for the immune system. Um, So you're setting these people up to, to be depressed which causes their immune system to be compromised. You're preventing them from going outside, which further decreases their immune system. You're setting them up to die. Right. I can only imagine what it's like, number one, for any elderly person, especially after they've lived so long and contributed so much to our society, and then to be told that they don't have these freedoms anymore, even if it may be for their own good. Um, But furthermore, like I always think about the individual that maybe has early onset Alzheimer's, something like that. And over the course of this past year, like literally sons and daughters have lost their parents, even though they're still alive. You know what I mean? It must be so easy for old people just in general to slip away and to have mental health issues creep in there with the solitude like lord knows they're they're not interacting with one another when they're there and then to be able to have that lifeline uh available like i mean it's they could still come if they wanted to but the door is shut to where that can't happen i can only imagine the type of trauma that that causes not only in that parent or that grandparent but in the chat, like that must be so tough for you. Yeah, it, it, it absolutely is. And I, and I guarantee, you know, if you ask the majority of people who live in long-term care homes, that they'd rather be stuck in their room for almost a year, um, or if they would rather go see their loved one with, you know, the amount of time they have um, with us, they would pick to go see their loved one, right? right. I, I know where I, and I understand the intent is to protect them, but so far, um, you know, we're not doing a great job. Um, Time is not on these people's sides. Uh, and, and, and anyone who's dealt with a situation like that, when time's not on your side, being connected to those people who mean, who mean most to you is the most important thing. Right. 
there's just so much shaming I find. Like I understand in an old age home, I do not agree with how we're going about taking care of the elderly right now. I think it's an F grade period. But in an old age home, I understand some of the additional precautions that they want to take because it would be so easy to spread throughout the other elderly there. But in regards to these things that I see online when it comes to people not wanting to hug their parents. Now, I understand if your parent doesn't want you to touch them and you don't want to touch them. That's completely up to that family and that relationship. But I don't feel that people should be shamed for wanting to hug their parents or hugging their parents, grandparents, etc. I will speak from my personal experience. I saw my father and I didn't even hesitate but to give him a hug. And he gave me a hug. He's an adult. I'm an adult. We know the risks. Like people smoke, people drink, people eat bad foods. Everyone's taking a risk each and every day. I mean, if you're that afraid, I suggest don't even get in your car day to day because you might get into an accident. I think that we've been perpetuated into this, this fear cycle that's incredibly hard to break to where we are doing more damage to ourselves mentally with the actions that we're taking or not taking than the likelihood of you getting coronavirus anyways or giving coronavirus to anybody anyways. Right. It seems I, I would have to think, and you can speak on this. We were told very early on how contagious coronavirus was. Like if there were 10 cases, there's likely a thousand cases out there because that's how contagious yeah. it was. So, and I'm just a common sense guy. I'm far from a genius. I read at a grade four level, all those things that I used to say when I was on the radio, but I would have to think that everybody at this point, would have had to have had COVID. It's just you either didn't get sick or you got a sniffle, you know, asymptomatic, whatever, or you got it really bad. It's not to say that this thing can't kill. It absolutely can. But would you not agree, and you're allowed to disagree, that if you were just to tell me that this was just a really bad flu, a super aggressive flu, most definitely a more deadly flu, we could leave it at that opposed to it's this coronavirus, it's a pandemic, and we need to shut down the fucking planet, which seems really bizarre to me. Yeah, what are we going to do when there actually is something that kills a significant portion of the population? We're doing this for something that, 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 that um, is, is deadly to a very small segment of the population, the most vulnerable segment. But what if it's something like the Spanish flu in the second wave where, where, where that, that segment was people in their 20s, mm -hmm. right? I mean, have, you, have you seen that, that article recently about the bracelets that are going to alert you when you're within six feet of somebody? Oh, my God. Well, yes, that worries me because they're already yeah. planning for the future. Yeah. 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 I've seen a whole bunch of stuff. Also, like these bubble helmets. Yeah. You know, yeah. people are going to wear these bubble helmets. And I wa <laughs> I'm watching this commercial. It was on on Facebook and it was a sponsored ad. And, you know, this guy's just smiling in his, in his little bubble world. It seems like this is where we're heading. This is where I'm concerned is that there's most definitely talk of a great reset. Like that is not a lie, right? The world economic forum, that is not a lie. You know, this, you will have nothing and you'll be happy. Like that's a slogan. 
no one made that shit up. Like that is happening right now. And it seems that I don't know how this virus got here. I don't care. I don't care what animal it's from. I don't care which country it's from. But it seems like this pandemic is being exploited by political powers to move forward a lot of agendas that otherwise wouldn't have moved forward. Like, look right now with Trudeau and the gun laws. Again, you know, trying to take guns out of people's hands. And not only that, but handguns, all types of guns, whatever it might be. So it seems like there is a, a real push forward for power and power grabs as a whole by government. Is that something that you, that you follow much? Um, I'm not as familiar with the Great Reset. Um, but I do certainly see it. Um, uh, those, like the, the bracelet example is, is a prime example. The, the, the vaccine passport conversation right. you know, is another example. Um, it certainly seems that, that the, there are people in the government who are trying to control and limit and almost give permission as to what we can and cannot do going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big brother. I find it, actually, I'm going to play a clip uh, a little bit later on, I had an extra 20 minutes with Randy Hillier that I didn't know that I had because we just had a candid conversation afterwards. I didn't want to show him where I stood before we had the conversation, but afterwards I just spoke more freely knowing that it wouldn't influence maybe how he interacted with me uh, and such. And if you watch 1984, <laughs> like it's scary, the, the parallels, like that box right there. It just tells us to do something. Like if the right person tells us to do something, we just do it. Like they told us that masks were mandatory. What did we do? Within a couple of days, you anywhere you went, you saw everyone with the mask. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, I, I sell them. So I, and I know that too, like the sales were ridiculous. Uh, you know, they tell you that, you know, you can't leave your house. And then all you take a look outside, everyone's inside you know stay so many feet apart and the tv told us and i don't even think it would take a pandemic to honestly to get that type of control i don't think they would have that much of a stranglehold of control but pretty much anything that that thing tells us to do we just take for granted that the people that are in power are doing something for our best interest and i think that's a scary place to be right now it is, and 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 we know that the likelihood of getting that back um, seems unlikely. You know, it, that was with uh, income tax, right? We that was never taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, so the more I, I do agree, the more you give up, the less you're going to get back. Um, right. Well, we always want more intervention, I, right? And, I, and the more government intervention that you ask for, you say like, "Help me." And they say, "Okay, sure, we'll we'll help you." And they you know take a sliver of you know, your previous freedoms away to do so because we believe that they can handle something that we can't. And so sticking with that, you know, the powers that be politicians, one of the things that I, that I saw, and I, I believe I told you to look him up, that Baber guy, Baber, whatever, yeah. I still haven't even bothered to look up his name because I find yeah. that also where, you know, uh, where the political powers are using this for some type of leverage for whatever it might be, is I see a lot of politicians also leveraging coronavirus to kind of push their agenda forward too. I think to kind of like garner more votes or, you know, to build up a little bit more popularity. And as much as I love this fight that this guy is putting up, because he doesn't believe in lockdowns, 
Yeah. And there's a lot of people in parliament that don't believe in lockdowns. They're, they're being proven to be highly ineffective. And for any doctor that you find that says we should be locking down, you can find another doctor that says we shouldn't be. Um, yeah. And I, he was pushing forward a motion to have all the people in parliament collect a serve salary. What do you think about that? Uh, I, I, I loved it. I thought it was, a, it was a great move. If you're right. down and out and you're burned by your party, try and stick it to them. Um, obviously, that backfired, mm-hmm. um, which I found actually amusing as well. Um, right. As to whether he would be okay with that if it was allowed, which I understand it's not allowed to do. But mm-hmm. see, now I thought if you're going to put forward a motion like that, and you're not just showboating to get attention, right? Like, of course, it's going to be a news story. And he probably took some time to draft up that letter. And I'm thinking he could have been doing something more constructive because he knew that wasn't going to, you know, was not going to make it. Um, and then they, they turned around, which you were alluding to, is that they were going to try and get him to collect the Serb and everybody else wouldn't have to. And then they later on threw that out. But what, I'm, what I was thinking, though, if he was really serious about that, why would he just not donate the rest of his funds outside of the $2,000 to some type of COVID relief program if he was really serious about it? Right? Uh, yeah, let's see what he does. If, um, yeah, why yeah, does he I, do it's, it? It's, it's, certainly, it's, it's, it's certainly hypocritical if he continues, to, if he continues to, to receive his salary and doesn't do anything with that money. Right. Yeah, that would just be like, you know, yeah. all show, no go. Yeah, exactly. Now I said, yeah. like, I mean, and that's difficult because you want to avoid that type of conversation where people are supposed to be getting less and giving to the whole because that's what we're trying to avoid as a whole in regards to uh, this socialism loop that we seem to be hearing a lot about. And to be quite honest, I wasn't all that familiar with socialism uh, until more more recently. And I can see a lot of cases, you know, throughout my history to where maybe I've had a little bit of a, a socialist uh, sl- a sliver of me, right? Where I've always mm-hmm. said things that were kind of along those lines. And it's only until now that I've kind of started to realize how dangerous it can be because it's just very much a slippery slope. You agree? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, I... Uh, it, it certainly is highlighted with in the past year with COVID as as to the the, the issues and with, with with socialism. I am I like I, I sit in the fence with this as I do with kind of most things, but I agree in, in in a hand up, not not necessarily a handout. I'm all for helping people in a time of need. Um, we can argue whether or not this time of need was necessary for the path for the better part of a year or not. Um, but the problem is, is it's now getting how do you how do you come back from that? How do you get everyone back to work? Or do, or, or do they continue to require the nanny state to support them? Right, 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 right. And, you know, and so, uh, God, there's, it seems like there's just so many things going on all at once. That's the crazy thing. It just, there's so many things that are happening all at once. It's like just the whole world just seems to be getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And you know what, I guess I'll, I'll finish off on, on this. What would be your advice? You, you would kind of had a conversation with me previously about your own mental health, right? And having to deal with some of the things that you see uh, on top of 
you know, having to deal with this added level of pressure uh, and, and scenarios to where your job has become more stressful than ever. Uh, if you just maybe want to share a, a, a little bit of your story that way uh, and how you deal with it to where maybe you can help somebody else that's listening right now uh, that thinks maybe they're a little bit deeper in than they are. Sure. So I'll start, I'll, I'll tell you sort of the first um, call I did that sh sh it shook me. Um, uh, I responded to a, a, a call where a person was hit by a vehicle and it was the worst trauma I have ever seen and probably will ever see uh, in my career. And that was the last call that my partner ever did. Uh, that call ended her career. Um, and I sat on that call for the better part of a year uh, where I had nightmares and um, a lot of guilt because I was a relatively new paramedic at that time. And I was excited to go to that call. And that might sound morbid to people who don't understand, but that's a call like that where, uh, is why I got into to this job. Um, but it showed the immaturity at that time. Um, my partner was probably thinking like, oh, my God, I, I, I don't want to do this call. I don't want to go to this, you know, to this call because it's going to be bad. Um, and I think the maturity of any paramedic in particular is that you, you don't want to go to those calls, but you also don't want your, your buddy or your friend or your coworker to go to those calls either. Um, it's a part of our job. Um, but then I dealt with um, a call um, a couple months later, and that was right around Christmas time. Um, and this person had died. And um, it wasn't the call. It wasn't the person itself that bothered me. It was how everybody else reacted. It was how the family reacted and, um, and the circumstances of the call. And um, it really bothered me. Um, and then um, on my birthday, actually, I decided I needed to, I needed a break. I needed to go off work. Um, I was getting angry. I was, you know, uh, just, I was, I was, I'd be normal and I'd be, be angry um, if anyone said anything to me that I didn't like. And so I uh, got help. I went to a, um, my doctor, I then went to a psychologist um, and I still see somebody regularly just to keep myself sort of in check um, uh, and just to deal with anything you know, that, that, that might come up at work that I can't just deal with, with my friends who are mostly paramedics with, um, you know, with conversation with my wife, who's a nurse or through, uh, my outlets, which are sports. And the last year has been hard to do that. Right. Um, so I, I guess the advice I have is that, um, if you're, if something's bothering you, you need to get it out. You need to talk to somebody, um, letting it sit and manifest um, is only going to cause physical health problems for you down the road. It's going to take away your um, all the things that mean most to you, whether that's your job or or your relationships. Um, go see somebody, um, talk to or start with talking to somebody that you can you can trust or have the utmost confidence in um, and can be vulnerable with. Right. Well, Chris, thanks for your time, brother. I really appreciate it. No problem, man. Happy to be here. Yeah, surprise! We got like a good forty minutes out of you, or something like that. I got it. Yeah, <laughs> you're pretty. Are you are you a quiet guy by nature, or are you just a quiet guy uh, when it comes to doing a podcast? No, I'm a quiet guy by nature. I much prefer to listen than to talk, and right. hopefully by that, if I do have something to say, then people may listen. 
right. No, it's a great strategy. You know, I, I teach that all the time. Uh, listening is, you know, an asset. And if more people listen, uh, they would learn more, number one. And then number two, they'd be able to give, you know, better, more fo formulated and educated answers based on the information that they were just given. No, that's yeah, great. And I, know, and I know I received a little heat in the comments from the last podcast where I didn't say much, but that was just because you guys are going down a rabbit hole that I didn't know much about. Right. So, no, that's great, brother. Yeah. No. So that's why I yeah. want to make sure that I, I had you back on uh, because number one, you're a likable guy. People like you. Um, <clears throat> you know, to offer some insight in regards to, you know, what is really going on? I just think it's really important the more people that come forward and say, like, listen, uh, the narrative is just a little bit off opposed to just being labeled a, a conspiracy theorist. Uh, yeah. And then you just, you know, you just, uh, you have a lot of, a lot of value to offer up. And I'm, I'm really happy that you decided to share some of that with the listeners one-on-one -on -one with me uh, as well. And uh, thank you once again for tuning into the Launchpad podcast. Uh, make sure to check, me out, check it out online at thelaunchpadpodcast.com. And if you like the content, please subscribe at youtube.com slash jmanisalive. You take care, be well, and love simply because you can.